and I went back to the three biggest rainmakers in my group at Oric. I said, hey, I just met this guy. It's a big deal. I think there's a 50% chance he launches something that within the next two years will take 30% of our business. And that's my assessment. And got different responses. Um, one said, oh yeah, people have been trying to do this with law firms forever. It's, not kind of, it's kind of dismissive. Investors aren't interested in the kinds of law firms types of profits. Another one said, um, I'm jealous. That sounds <laughs> cool. And then another one said, uh, keep Justin close. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chad Main, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about the intersection of technology and the practice of law. In this episode, I talked to Augie Rayco and Max Canner of Atrium LLP and Atrium LTS, respectively. We just heard from Augie, and the Justin he was referring to was Justin Kahn, a Silicon Valley angel investor and serial entrepreneur. Augie founded Atrium with Justin, and Max was recently hired to head up Atrium's artificial intelligence efforts. As you'll hear, Atrium's working on some pretty cool stuff and just might be on their way to building the law firm of the future. Before we get to my talk with Augie and Max, some background on how Atrium is structured is important. Atrium is two business entities. Atrium LLP is a law firm, and Atrium LTS is a separate corporation. Atrium is two companies for a couple reasons. One is for the sake of process efficiency, which is very important to the Atrium crew. But just as important to them, and another reason that Atrium is two companies, is that because it is also designed to comply with the regulatory framework that governs law firms. Which... I might add, is not without detractors and is a whole other topic for another podcast. In short, Atrium LLP provides legal services like any other law firm, but it utilizes the services of Atrium LTS for operational and technical support. Before we get to the nitty-gritty about what Atrium is up to, if you need any evidence that they're coming at law from a different angle, you only need to talk to Augie and Max for about five minutes to figure that out. Before Augie helped launch Atrium, he was a patent lawyer and did legal work for startups for about 10 years. Most recently, he was with Warwick Harrington. But most interestingly, before he began the practice of law, he went to divinity school. Uh, yeah, so coming out of college, I uh, ended up going to divinity school, actually. Uh, divinity school has a, a couple different tracks. There's like a professional track where you're really going to become a preacher. And that's really what people kind of think of with um, divinity school. When you think of like MLK having a MDiv and, and stuff like that. That's, that's that track. Um, also within Divinity School, there's sort of a religious studies kind of kind of a, a cohort. Um, I was in, in that group and was very always had always really been very interested in a pretty rigorous systematic discourse about how we live and how society is set up and and what's the good life um, and stuff like that. And and that's really the the connection really I think between divinity and law for for me um, is that those are those are really two, the two disciplines where I think the core tools of the discipline consist of making sense of making sense of statements about how we should live, using fairly abstract concepts about um, the capture kind of human and social values about, you know, fairness. Under, if they're religious, it's things like mercy and love and, and forgiveness. And, and um, if it's legal stuff, it's things like, is a patent obvious? Um, concepts of like whether a patent is obvious or um, whether it's um, uh, a sin to do something are, are these concepts that are totally made by humans. And both divinity and law try to take these concepts and apply them systematically and rigorously to solve day-to-day problems. Like if a couple splits up, who should get the house? And, um, and to me, those are, those are really um, the commonality between them. How do you make the jump from intellectual history to, to law? To law, yeah. So I was in a bookstore in Tokyo and I was just browsing through the bookstore and I came across a law section and I had had no um, interaction with law. Um, I didn't have any lawyers in my family except for a, grand, a great-grandfather who I didn't know. And uh, we, don't, we didn't have it in undergraduate study curriculums at, at the time in, in the U.S. 
in Japan and like most other countries, it's a, it's a much more widely studied thing at the undergraduate level, and you have sections in bookstores about law and all that. And I just picked up a book on constitutional law written by a Japanese law professor, um, basically the Lawrence Tribe of Japan, um, <laughs> a, a con law professor writing in Japanese about um, constitutional law issues in Japan for Japanese law students, and just totally fell in love with it. Not to be outdone by Augie's cool story about going to divinity school, Max, as a hobby, flies planes. So uh, personal hobbies, I'm also a private pilot. I got my pilot's license in 2013. It's always been one of my one of my dreams. It's tons of fun. That has probably been my greatest exposure to the law. Uh, when you start training, you get a three-inch thick book on federal aviation regulations. And when you say, what do I have to read? And the answer comes back, all of it. So what do you fly? Uh, mostly single-engine planes, Diamonds, Cessnas, Cirruses. So I guess when Atrium blows up, they won't have to look far to find a pilot to fly the company jet. But in the meantime, Max is responsible for Atrium LTS's AI efforts. Max's background provides some good insight into how Atrium is approaching its legal services. Max is not a lawyer, and before Atrium had never worked in the legal services industry. He has a computer science background, and he himself is a tech company founder. Coincidentally, he, like Augie, spent some time in Japan. Went to school originally for political science and international relations, but just became fascinated with computer science after taking a uh, breadth requirement. So I graduated with a bachelor's and master's in computer science and was offered a job in Tokyo. So that's where Augie and I, like ships in the night, crossed paths, not knowing each other. I was working in Tokyo for a few years, notably at Jane Street Capital, running a small trading desk. Responsibility as a trader, but spending six hours trading, seven hours trading, and then Another seven or eight hours coding, writing up models and all of that, and I, I loved it. Uh, after that, I moved to Singapore, where I was running another uh, slightly larger book on another trading desk, and then kind of just started feeling the bug of technology more. This was around 2010. We just had the financial crisis, and some really interesting stuff was happening. So I tried uh, my hand at a startup in Singapore. Not entirely successfully learned a great object lesson in founder market fit, and that going off and building a consumer loyalty product for quick service retail when you have no experience in quick service retail, consumer loyalty, or marketing is probably not the optimal strategy for success. So I moved back to San Francisco and reconnected with a good friend of mine from college. And we launched a startup called DocMunch, whose product was focused on extracting tabular and textual data from PDFs. The eventual tie-in to Atrium years later was this focus on data extraction and processing semi-structured or unstructured data. DocMunch was acquired by a startup by a company called Nitro that makes an Adobe Acrobat competitor. It's PDF processing software, and I was running a machine learning group at Nitro for about a year and a half before I left to pursue other options. And actually, Mike, my co-founder connected me with Bebe, who was one of the co-founders of Atrium. And at the time, I wasn't quite looking for a job. I had some projects going that I was really excited about. But what sold me on Atrium was the combination of what I saw as a pretty innovative model. So they combined both really solid legal chops. Oric was actually our representation for DocLunch. We love them. They're, they're a great Silicon Valley law firm. So knowing that Augie left that to come to Atrium was a pretty significant signal to me that they were onto something real. Yeah. But on the other side, they also had Justin Kahn, who 
is pretty much about as far away from a uh, straight-laced lawyer that you can get. Uh, although he does define himself as a power user of legal services. So, you know, much like someone who flies a lot, you could probably spot a lot of things wrong with the aviation industry. I think he had a lot of insights into law. So the combination of that founding team, their early success, and the opportunities that present themselves from a machine learning, natural language processing perspective, when you have access to these clients, to these documents, to the legal markup on these on those documents was fascinating to me. That was something that I just could not say no to. As mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the Justin Max is referring to is Justin Kahn, a Silicon Valley serial entrepreneur who's been involved in several startups, including a live video feed website called Twitch and another called Justin TV, which was a 24-7 live video feed of his life. Amazon ultimately acquired Twitch, and Justin ultimately became a partner at Y Combinator, a premier Silicon Valley incubator. But around 2017, Augie and Justin connected. It was at this time that they started to sow the seeds to what would ultimately become Atrium. So I represented Justin's uh, brother's company in a pretty big um, transaction, um, but didn't meet him at that point. We actually met on Facebook. He posted a comment asking his followers um, how much they pay for their their financings. And a woman who had, had hired at Atrium, uh, sorry, at Auric, to, uh, to help me kind of stay connected with the, the community and people like Justin spotted that on Facebook and sent me the link. I didn't know just at the time, so I wasn't connected with him on Facebook. She sent me the link and I responded to that, his post saying like, here's how you manage the cost in financings. Here are the main two techniques, but that's just how you do it today. Um, Justin, if you're interested in kind of more radical, radically new ways of doing things, I'd love to talk. And we met up and just talked for four hours and met up a couple days later, talked for another four hours. We had first three meetings before four and a half hours each. We just had so much to, to share on this. And, and and then over the course of the next few months, we got to know each other better. And and um, it was one of these things. That, it was one of these decisions that sort of happened. I, 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 it just sort of took, took the, the momentum kind of kind of took over. You and Justin keep talking and you just decide together, hey, I'm going to leave the practice of law and we're going to do this. Is that yeah, there happens? were two or three things that, that really, I mean, I came back from that meeting the first the first weekend I met, I met him and I went back to the three biggest rainmakers in my group at Oric. I said, hey, I just met this guy. It was a big deal. I think there's a 50% chance he launches something that within the next two years will take 30% of our business. And that's my assessment. And got different responses. Um, one said, oh, yeah, people have been trying to do this with law firms forever. It's, not kind, of, it's kind of dismissive. Investors aren't interested in the kinds of law firms types of profits. Another one said, um, I'm jealous. That sounds <laughs> cool. And then another one said, uh, keep Justin close. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to my talk with the Atrium guys in just a minute. But now it's time in the podcast for the segment where I sit down with a legal tech founder and talk about their company. Today, we're talking to Jeremiah Kelman of Evercron. That's a collaborative case management platform for litigators. Pretty cool product. And here's what Jeremiah had to say about it. Yeah, so Evercron is essentially a collaborative litigation management analysis platform. It's a software that brings together all the key information on a legal case and really meant to allow uh, litigators and, and their team to collaborate effectively, do analysis, and organize the most important documents in their case. So what's the motivation? What's the story behind Evercron? What inspired you to create the product? Sure. So uh, both my co-founder and I were lawyers at a firm, Irella Manella, in Los Angeles. And we were doing a lot of you know, large-scale litigation, securities litigation, um, and that sort of thing. And uh, we were both there uh, for about six or seven years before we left, found Evercron. And what we were experiencing at the time was just a lot of frustration around working together as a team 
And being able to organize everything and understand the facts and documents in our cases. Um, and really the way that this is done, even today, often is, is just a little crazy and frustrating, uh, using essentially Word documents and Excel to organize information, and then a whole host of different systems and tools where everything is all separated out. And so we really just, you know, my co-founder and I, Ofer Blywise, were basically just putting our heads together on, on what better ways could we, you know, bring together newer technologies and software to, you know, make the process of litigation um, a lot easier and more efficient and effective. And so that was the genesis of Evercron, really, to build a better collaborative way of, of working with litigation information. And before the call today, I was checking out the website. It's got some cool features. Uh, tell us about a few of those. Really, the what Evercron does is it gets you a centralized workspace to uh, put together uh, a lot of information that today lives in a lot of different places. So, for example, you might have all of your case filings and, you know, discovery responses and that sort of thing organized on a, on a file share or in the document management system. And then on the other hand, you might have a lot of uh, sort of discussion in your emails. You might have some stuff living in Word documents. You might have uh, a whole host of documents in a large e-discovery review database. Uh, so Evercon brings in the best of these sources of information, puts it in a central space, and then you can do things like, for example, very easily organize your information, your case documents, your key documents into chronologies of key facts and documents. Our core focus is ease of use. So we realize that like the idea is to get a whole host of different types of people in here. It could be a senior partner, it could be a client, paralegal. And so it's very important to us to make it extremely easy and fast for this use case of of collaborating around this information. So very easy to search, very easy to create reports. The other core functionality of Evercron um, is our master file, which is the filing system that would keep everything that would be exchanged between the parties filed with the court. Um, we have a unique filing system that shows relationships of documents to each other. And then finally, really in tune with our philosophy, which is a little in, a lot out. If you're going to put work into the system, we better give you back a lot. Um, we have automatically generated player profiles or witness profiles. So just by working in the system, just by putting uh, your documents in here, we automatically give you analysis and pull together all the different information on a witness-by-witness -witness basis. Well, cool. Appreciate your time today. It's a cool product. And where can people yeah. find you? Sure. Uh, you can find us online at evercron.com. And uh, or you can uh, reach out to us by email at info at evercron.com. And we'd be happy to help you get started in learning more about Evercron. All right, let's get back to my talk with Augie Rako and Max Kanner of Atrium. When we left off, Augie had just told us about meeting Justin Kahn and hatching the idea for Atrium. Now the next step was for them to raise money. When the Atrium team went out and raised money, they raised more than 10 million bucks, which is a nice chunk of change for any business, but it's an especially nice sum for a legal tech business that includes a service-based offering as part of its business plan. As I can tell you from experience, venture capitalists do not get that excited about service-based businesses. If you don't believe me, Google, what should you do with your crappy little service business and check out the first article that comes up. So I asked Augie, what was it that they were able to do to get technology investors excited about Atrium? I think the, the, the thing that Justin did that was so at that phase that was so um, kind of um, kind of thing that he is uniquely talented to do. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's uniquely about that where he's uniquely positioned to do, right? He's got, he's well known. He he um, has access to capital, access to, you know, all that kind of stuff. But what he did that was so unique was, I think, was to articulate in extraordinarily simple terms two or three principles 
that have really broad ranging effects. And uh, and those and the, the, the two or three principles he came up with are, are really powerful. And um, they're kinds of things, the more you think about them, the more things start to make sense and it, it really pointed a way forward. And, and I think other people probably would have not hit on those principles. I would, that would be me. <laughs> or would have made them, I don't need to throw myself under the bus here, but, or would have made them too complex, which also would have been me. <laughs> and they were extraordinarily deep, extraordinarily simple. And it just, it just the, 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 the value of them was just undeniable. And so what are these principles? So uh, I think fun, the, the most fundamental one was the insight um, that explains why so many legal tech startups fail. And that is that it's, it's really an explanation of why law firms don't buy legal tech. And I th the thing about the billable hour is, is, a, is part of it, I think. But I think the deeper reason, I th the deeper reason is that there's no vehicle to capture. In, in a law firm, there's, there's much less economic incentive to invest in the operations. And it's not because of, it's in addition to the billable hour. There's, a, there's an additional factor and that it, there's no market for your law firm equity. And so if you think of any, any other, um, you know, if you think of like, you know, McDonald's investing in like developing a new hamburger, that might get more people in the door and you have greater revenue, but it also drives up the cost of the, the value of the McDonald's stock. And that second part is completely missing in law firms and it can, and be, because there's no market for the equity. And so it leads to all kinds of incrementalism and conservatism. It also leads to, to short-term planning. Another way to put it is that I think there are very few people who are in a position to materially influence a law firm's investment decisions who are young enough and junior early enough in their practice to benefit from those investments 10 years out. Whereas if, for contrast, if you look at like every time I see like, you know, um, take even like Bill Gates, it's been, it's been years since he was actively involved in Microsoft. He still personally benefits, I imagine, still personally benefits every time Microsoft decides to in, invest in its longer term growth. He personally benefits from it because it drives up this value of his stock. He can then take financing against it. I mean, he's beyond needing that, yeah. but, but, but he personally, to this day, he still personally benefits from long-term investments and his kids will continue to, to benefit or his foundations will continue to benefit from that. Totally absent in a law firm. Another thing Atrium pointed out to investors when it went out to raise money was that it's sometimes hard for law firms to hire high-level non-lawyer talent to support the business. No small part of this difficulty is regulatory, specifically regulations that prevent non-lawyers from having an ownership interest in law firms. By creating LTS as a separate non-law firm entity, Atrium is better suited to go out and hire talented developers, marketers, business development people that might otherwise go to bigger name tech companies rather than a law firm. We're trying to take a, so one of these other principles uh, that I mentioned that were sort of kind of Justin's insights into, into um, how to fix this, what, what's broken here, is that, you know, traditional law firms don't have very differentiated staffing. I think it's really only been in the last 10 to 20 years that they even start to have, you know, marketing teams and, and, and things like that. Our experience is that that's the, the specialized professional talent, non-legal professional talent that law firms attract tend not, law firms struggle to, I would say they don't even compete with the Googles and the Facebooks and, and, and places like that for, for that sort of talent. And it's for, it's for obvious, it's kind of for obvious reasons that, you know, there's a glass ceiling in, in, in most of the law firms because of the regulatory rules. They can't, you know, become owners of, of, of their law firm. They can take administrative or executive roles within the law firm, but they can't um, become owners. And, and this creates a, a sort of second class sort of citizenship within, within, within the law firms. And so it's, they tend not to be and there's not the kind of the equity upside potential in, in a law firm. And so they tend not to attract a lot, a lot of the, the, the talent. As noted earlier, Atrium LTS, the business side, provides operational support to Atrium LLP, the law firm side. However, outside of and beyond operational support, another reason Atrium LTS was founded was to develop technology that the law firm could use, 
that its clients could use and ultimately that other law firms could use. Within the technology services, which also includes the operational support that Augie mentioned, we have the technology group. In technology, we have client-facing products, which our clients can log on like a portal. They can see certain things. Internal-facing products. Those would be tools that, for example, our paralegals will use to load up a set of documents from a new client from prior counsel and mark up, this is the counterparty for this contract, this is the effective date for this contract, et cetera. And we store that all in our, our custom document management system. But then we also have another layer behind all of that called the data platform. And that's really where things get interesting. With the data platform, what we're doing is keeping track of every step in a workflow that our paralegals and our attorneys undertake. So in our paralegal needs to mark up a document and say, this is the counterparty or this is the effective date, those actions are stored. And those actions are stored in a way that our algorithms can be trained against. So what we're doing, while we're building these front-end platforms for our paralegals and attorneys and our clients, on the back-end, we're training machine learning algorithms to make predictions based on what they've seen so far. So in some cases, our paralegals don't need to manually type in counterparties anymore. The system will automatically suggest counterparties to them. They will suggest effective dates. And that's the approach that I'm trying to take. We're not trying to replace anyone in the immediate future. We're just trying to eliminate the manual, repetitive tasks that dominate much legal workflows. Interestingly, a side effect of having an affiliation with a technology company that was founded by business people, run by business people, and staffed with business people is that lawyers at Atrium LLP get to learn business concepts that aren't always normally taught at conventional law firms. Concepts like how to manage subordinates. One of the things I think most frequent, most I spend most time thinking about that, that, I, that I sort of um, learn from LTS or, or get from LTS, from the LTS side, is really uh, management um, coaching, management advice. I've learned a, a lot from uh, Justin and, and Bebe, um, in, in particular, and Nick, about um, how to manage a report. <laughs> it's a new thing for me. <laughs> I've had teams. I've managed. I've led many teams. I've had. I've sent out invoices to clients where there's more than fifty timekeepers listed on the invoice. hundred timekeepers on, on the invoice. So I've managed. I've been responsible for the work of many people, but I have never been a manager to, to someone. You know, in the sense of setting their goals and, and, and reviewing their goals, they're being responsible for their career progression, making sure that they, you know, have never 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 done that before. Since opening its doors in June of 2017. Atrium's already landed more than 100 clients, and they employ a business development team. So we just celebrated uh, getting our 100th client. Um, been in business since uh, June 1, so it's uh, eight months or so. 100 clients, about actually about 120, 120, 125 now. We've gotten them through various different different ways. Um, had a pretty large influx of companies have just reached out to the website when they've seen the various press releases. We also have um, a fantastic growth team here. We have three members, three or four members, three or four or five members on the growth team at the moment, depending how you divide it up. They're all folks that have um, built businesses or have had professional sales careers where they've done extraordinarily well, consistent with the ethical rules we supervise. The law, the lawyers supervise them. They, they, um, you know, there's a lot of rules around that that are very important to follow. Uh, but we have a professional sales team, and and I think that's really that's really the difference. We actually think of we think of the services that we're providing as as products, and so we don't just do kind of any, now no no law firm would say that they'll just do anything that comes in the door, but even even work that I would have done at prior my prior firm, we may pass on it not because it's not good work, or not good work to do, or not good clients, but we may pass on it because we're just not serving that we're just not providing that service quite yet. 
and by constraining ourselves, we um, we can streamline our operations and we can be more strategic about how we do try to sell the services that, that we do sell. And so it's that combination of, of more specifically defining the, the products, and we call it kind of productizing our services, and then working with an a, a, a extraordinarily talented sales team um, and marketing team to tell the community about those services and guide them through the, the sales funnel. Like any good Silicon Valley startup, Atrium is laser-focused on product market fit. This means in the near term, they're limiting the legal services they offer just to those needed by startup companies. But as they refine their processes and grow, they plan to organically move into other areas like M&A and litigation. However, as Augie points out, that doesn't mean the Atrium structure and MO can't be applied to non-business-related areas of the law. So the work we're doing now um, tracks the kind of work that you that that startups get from the, um, the the leading law firms in this space right now. The Wilson's and Senior's, the Cooley's, the Gunderson's, Oric, a handful of others. Goodwin, Fenwick. It's basically that same that same model. We're really kind of that's the same menu. We're, we're there's already product market fit there. We know that people can we know that clients consume those services. We know that they'll pay pay well for it. And we know that there's talent out there to provide those services. So like let's not screw with something that's, that's that, that works. But over time we 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 expect it to 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 expand and, and we'll. Um, most likely follow similar growth patterns to other the other law firms that have done well in, in, in this space. You know, um, you represent a lot of venture-backed startups. Pretty soon you start selling them to Google. You start selling them to Salesforce. You start selling them to come. So it becomes an M&A practice. Um, then you may um, turn that M&A practice into a buy, a buy side M&A practice um, and, and kind of gradually expand out from there. We will, we will mostly be a, a business law firm, um, but I think these principles apply to everybody in our industry. Not surprisingly, Atrium's pricing structure is a little bit different than a conventional law firm. Instead of maximizing billable hours, much of the way Atrium builds clients is subscription-based. This market segment of clients really want to consume, really want to use legal, and they want it to be fast, transparent, and price predictable. Price predictable. Um, fast speaks for itself. Transparent means they want to know the status of things, and they want it to be price predictable. Not necessarily cheap. Um, a lot of times, you get, they, if, if, it's, if as long as it's predictable, um, uh, they're willing to, to pay pretty. Um, uh, pay well for it, and especially if they feel like they're getting something really good for it. So, the subscription really speaks to that price predictability. Uh, you know, there's going to be some variance. Um, a, uh, you know, a, a client may need a lawyer's time for four hours one month, and then two hours another month, and ten hours the next month. And if you are tr- striving to be unit profitable at the kind of task by task level, then you really do need to track hour by hour. But if you're trying to, or, or six minutes by six minutes, if you're if you only need to be profitable at a client by client level or at a quarter by quarter level, um, that gives you a lot more freedom to absorb the variance. And so we really put that on ourselves to um, accurately price in, in aggregate, in aggregate, like much like an insurance company might, you know, what's gonna be the, the likely cost of this. And, and so that's how we handle, we absorb that variance on the back, on, on our side. Um, and then clients will sign up for, um, usually the, the clients we're taking on now, um, the, the subscription price varies a little bit. We're rolling out new pricing uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but most of the clients are paying around 1500 to 3000 a month. So I closed out this great conversation with Augie and Max with a question to Max about what the future holds for the tech development at Atrium LTS. So in the short-term future, our goal is to just capture more of the workflows that the LLP attorneys and paralegals are performing, the idea being that they have to spend less time in Word, less time in Outlook, more time on our systems. That gives them higher value add, it's more holistic, and we can also report back or give them the ability to generate better metrics. So Augie can turn around and say, this is where our bottlenecks are. When we're on a subscription business, in a way, we're arbitraging that difference. And it's absolutely vital for us to know what we're spending time on so that we can then fix that. On the data platform side, our goal is just improving predictions, eliminating 
more and more rote tasks. One of the distinctions that I like to think about for machine learning is what I call autocomplete versus Siri. Autocomplete type machine learning tools are tools that have incremental value. If I'm using Google Autocomplete and it's wrong 75% of the time, I just keep typing. I still get 25% of the value out of that. If I'm using Siri and it's wrong 75% of the time, I get no value out of it because now I just wasted my time talking to my phone, like someone who might have some issues, and now I gotta go do whatever I was gonna do myself. So my interest here has always been to build the autocomplete, to build the autocomplete tools for attorneys. Not, auto, not zero touch automation that has to be perfect, but something that helps our attorneys and paralegals 75% of the time, and then is useful 75% of the time. Yeah, so my goal is if our engineering team can make tech that makes the attorneys as happy as having Augie cover their backs makes them happy, like that's my goal. Our goal, in a sense, is attorney retention. Make it so much more pleasant to do legal work here because we have amazing legal tools that if you go work at another law firm, you lose. And if we have that product loyalty to our internal product, then that's a huge win for us. So that's a wrap for this episode. If you want to learn more about Augie and Max or find links and more information about anything we talked about, you can check out their page on our website, tlpodcast.com. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on most major podcasting platforms such as iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. I hope you'll tune in next time where I talk to Angie Hickey of Chicago-based Levenfield Pearlstein. She's the CEO of that firm, and she talks about what it's really like to run a law firm like a business. Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.